Hello and welcome to this audio version of the Universal Prior Substack, where I write about all things related to brains, minds, and their possible uses. My name is Jan, and I'll be reading some of the posts that I publish. If you like what you hear, consider checking out the blog at universalprior.substack.com and subscribe to get a notification whenever a new post is released. And now, without further ado... Via Protiva Against Advice Be careful whose advice you buy, but be patient with those who supply it. Advice is a form of nostalgia. Dispensing it is a way of fishing the past from the disposal, wiping it off, painting over the ugly parts and recycling it for more than it's worth. Everybody's free to wear sunscreen. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of advice. I think there are many good side effects of giving and receiving advice. The act of giving advice is essentially an expression of trust. Asking for help is a social superpower and the downsides of being exposed to information are usually rather low. But those are just side effects. The actual core purpose of advice, exchanging relevant and helpful information, is surprisingly hard to get right. 1. Causality is complicated. Figuring out why you succeeded is hard and the story you tell yourself about it is probably wrong. 2. For almost any piece of advice out there, you can find reverse advice, i.e., quote, you need to stop being so hard on yourself, remember you are your own worst critic, versus stop making excuses for yourself, you will never be able to change until you admit you've hit bottom, Slate Star Codex, end of quote. And because of your social bubble, you might be exposed to advice with exactly the wrong polarity. 3. The people with the most relevant insight are probably busy doing stuff, leaving the people with a lot of free time on their hands to dominate the advice-giving market. So most people who want to give or sell advice do not have the relevant insight to give good advice. This effect corroborates the importance of having mentors. Even busy people want to give advice but are more selective about whom they give it to. Consequently, a lot of advice floating around online and offline tends to be pretty much useless. Even in the rationality community, which gets a lot of other things right, I'm rather put off by group debugging, hamming circles and the hammer time. I see that people get value from doing these things, but most, if not all, value appears to come from the side effects of advice giving and receiving rather than the actual content of the advice. The negative way. Considering all these arguments, I try to limit my advice giving to an absolute minimum. This, as you can imagine, is becoming increasingly difficult as I continue this experiment of broadcasting my thoughts on a near-weekly basis. There are so many things I want to write about because I think I figured out a truly brilliant way of doing them, but I stopped myself so as not to embarrass my future self. Most things that work well for me might be young specific strategies that don't generalize. There might be a way out, however. The great Nassim Taleb declared in 2019, quote, never take any advice from someone you didn't ask for advice, end of quote, on Twitter. He notices the problem with this a couple of hours later and posts, quote, never take any positive advice from someone you didn't ask for advice, corrected to fix the meta problem, end of quote. Nassim calls this strategy fancifully the via negativa, the observation that our knowledge and inherent understanding of downsides is far more robust than what we know about upsides. Instead of telling people what to do, we might want to focus on what not to do. 
I don't think this fixes all the issues with advice giving outlined above, but it goes some distance towards it. Hence, this post is not regular old advice, it's via negativa. I want to articulate some of the non-obvious productivity traps I have identified in myself and others and warn you about them. Before we dive in, here is a bitter lesson up front. If your goal is to be productive, you should work and not read blog posts. If you're looking for a way to be productive, stop reading this now and do whatever you're supposed to be doing. However, if you happen to be curious about how I do things, read on. Don't fight the Hydra. Perhaps the most common failure mode I observe in myself and others is getting sidetracked or losing focus. It's hard to pinpoint exactly what is happening, so I'll use the admittedly a bit stale metaphor of fighting the Leonidran Hydra to illustrate. Imagine yourself as Heracles, sent out to kill the Hydra. For every head you cut off, two new heads grow. As long as the Hydra retrains at least one head, you cannot kill it. You can spend a lifetime and more cutting off heads, and you'll be farther from your goal of killing the Hydra than when you started. The Hydra, of course, is your research problem. When researching a fact, you might get seduced by trivia and the depths of Wikipedia. When proving a mathematical theorem, choosing the wrong strategy will lead you into an endless circle of algebraic transformations. And in research, more generally, there is a tendency not just to solve a technical problem, but to utterly demolish it, i.e. solving every possible variation of the problem and writing a long-winded tractatus on how you did it. Be wary, be very wary indeed of engaging with a Hydra problem. You might be able to identify a Hydra problem by keeping track of the branching factor. How many subproblems does each step of your derivation introduce? If this continues to be larger than one, your approach is probably incorrect or at least infeasible. This might appear obvious, but history is full of famous examples of researchers getting stuck on epicycles. Researchers produce pseudo-answers to questions, but they open more questions than closed. I observe the pattern in my colleagues, students, and myself. One location where I expect a hydra consistently is data analysis. When performing the wrong kind of data analysis, for example, fitting a hidden Markov model when there is no straightforward latent structure, it is tempting to try things at infinitum. This is bad because it introduces biases into the analysis and is essentially futile. Improving one aspect of the analysis makes every other aspect worse. Notice the signature of a Hydra problem and you are right to be scared. I found it fruitful to discard the framing and slice reality along different axes in these situations. Instead of fitting a hidden Markov model, take a step back and take another look at simple statistics or the raw data. Make your implicit assumptions explicit and modify them. Try to get a no instead of a yes. And don't be afraid to shelve something if it doesn't work. Otherwise, you can spend an unbounded amount of time and achieve almost nothing. Now, as stated from the onset, this is not positive advice. I do not know how to avoid Hydra problems in general. Sometimes you do need to dive into the depths of Wikipedia, fight your way through increasingly complicated algebraic equations, or utterly demolish a technical problem, but only to come out at the other side and to find a branching factor collapse suddenly. And sometimes all the new heads of the Hydra that emerge turn out to be deep and important problems that can be approximately separated from each other. 
But unless the problem you solve is so important that you're okay with spending a lifetime without making progress, don't risk engaging with Hydra problem. One must imagine Sisyphus unproductive. I've spent an insane amount of time in the early 2000s manually adding thumbnails to my music collection on Windows Media Player. In retrospect, I did that because the resulting mosaic of album covers looked kind of pretty. But at the time, I told myself that this is a one-time investment of work and that once I've updated my entire library, I'll only have to do a little bit of work to add the cover art for every new album I add. You can imagine my disappointment when Spotify appeared and made my thumbnail work useless. I'm not bringing this up because I still hold a grudge that that would be weird. It's just an illustrative example of what I call over-optimizing in null space. Let's take that apart a bit further. You're probably already familiar with the 20-80 rule. Focus on the vital 20% of effort that produce 80% of the outcome. That rule is great, but it's not constructive and doesn't help with finding the vital 20%. Also, there are some situations where we cannot apply the rule straightforwardly. When writing an essay for your dream college or doing a work test for your dream job, you might not want to half-ass it. This is not a situation where you can aim for a fixed level of quality and get the job. By construction, you are competing with other people who are incentivized to outbid you. So if you value the opportunity sufficiently and think you have a shot at outbidding your competition, you don't want to stop at the 20% effort. Here, the landscape is artificially designed to incentivize you to demonstrate the maximum of what you are capable of, which the interviewer is trying to estimate. The goal of your effort is not to solve a problem in the world, but to signal your capability. Also, sometimes the Pareto principle does not apply. Sometimes the outcome is proportional to the effort, or at least it takes a very long time before diminishing returns become noticeable. There might still be reasons not to invest 100% effort 100% of the time, but those are a lot less straightforward than if you want more of something, do more to get it. And lastly, and then there is Yoda and trying to try. Sometimes it is simply a convenient trick to think of your effort as an all-out effort, rather than to invest the cognitive overhead at calibrating how much effort you should be investing. This only works when the task is sufficiently important. These counterexamples motivate me to think of optimization in null space. In linear algebra, the null space is a part of the input space mapped onto zero. As long as you move in this null space or an affine transformation, your outcome will not change. If you're more of a visual thinker, think of a 2D Mexican head that has a circular basin of a minima. Optimization in null space is then an oxymoron that gestures at the idea of spending a lot of energy on something that doesn't cash out in terms of performance. This is essentially equivalent to the 2080 rule, but framed in terms of optimization processes. Interpreted through that lens, there are a few non-obvious heuristics that pop out. 1. Try to reduce overhead aggressively. Go for systems with minimal structure and maximal flexibility. Don't search for the perfect note-taking system. Pick something and run with it. Quote, a complex system that works is invariably found to have evolved from a simple system that worked. End of quote. If it doesn't start paying off soon after starting, you might be in null space. 2. Look for things that scale. Effective altruism is a community built around searching for good things that scale. Meeting new people scales. Starting a new project scales. 
artificial intelligence scales. Third, when things start to feel noisy but you haven't reached your desired outcome yet, then go for small robust improvements rather than trying to revolutionize. This must be how DeepMind built AlphaCode. To reach this point, you must be slightly desperate. But those are, of course, only heuristics. Via Negativa does not provide a rulebook to follow. It just tries to highlight major pitfalls. Noticing the pitfalls and avoiding them is up to you. Don't listen to Cassandra. There is a chance that I'm taking the Greek mythology thing too far. Let me be clear. If you find someone who really legitimately is Cassandra, please do listen to them. Also, please correct your bias for not believing women. Also, if people talk to you, please listen to them or, alternatively, tell them you have to visit the bathroom or something. Just not listening is rude. Okay, instead, I'm trying to say that there is an overwhelming everything going on online and our poor monkey brains cannot keep track. Therefore, you need really good filters. Try having fewer opinions. Resist the urge of joining the debate du jour. Ignore most things that don't make sense to you right now. It's okay and you're only human. Somebody else, hopefully, will take the stuff you discard seriously. And if it were really important, it would probably pop up again and again. The edgelordy version of this idea is Sturgeon's Law. 90% of everything is crap. I like the slightly more palatable 90% of everything is not immediately useful to you. That version is also more likely to be true. It would be weird if most things out there were relevant to you in particular, and even the objectively worst piece of science fiction probably made someone's grandma very proud. What are the properties of a good filter? A really good filter will only let the first order approximation of a concept get into long-term memory. You won't need more to plant the concept into your ontology, and if you ever need higher order terms, for example for writing, you'll have to go back to the source anyway. Your filter might also be very sensitive to bullshit and discard most anecdotes. Instead of tracking details, track motivations. And please, do all of that without being rude. Closing thoughts. Even though I presented them as three different ideas, don't try to solve hydra problems, don't optimize a null space, don't try to pay attention to everything, they all circle around one common theme. Be honest with yourself about your limitations, notice when you're going down a rabbit hole and constantly recalibrate. Try to have good epistemic. Phrased like this, I don't think this advice is controversial or very novel. The value I gained from writing this is that now I have a more explicit understanding of how I operate, sometimes slash rarely. The value for a hypothetical reader that has come to this point might be that they update on the relative importance of my advice over other people's advice. Or perhaps you feel motivated to make your MO explicit? Feel free to leave your thoughts in the comments, always curious to hear what you think. Most things people tell me directly pass my filter just fine. Or consider signing up for the newsletter to get notified whenever I'm writing something new. This was an audio version of the Universal Prior Substack. If you enjoyed listening, consider subscribing to the newsletter to get a notification about a new post straight to your inbox. And with this, until next time!